0: Hi everybody, and welcome back this week to the Summertime Bit Boys. It's me, James. It's Blake. And uh, this week we have something a little bit different for you. So instead of us playing some games and talking about them, we were actually featured on a upcoming podcast. In uh, I think it's in the next couple of weeks called the Cultured Christian Podcast. You want to say a few words about it, Blake?
1: Yeah, so over the past uh, maybe week or two, we've been getting to know the podcaster. His name is Kurt. He has a really cool channel where he talks about tech and also faith, but you don't have to assume that it's some type of intense thing. It's more like an open platform to get people interested into different topics. Yes, things are related to Christianity, but it doesn't mean that it's only centered on Christian-only views. So as we got to know Kurt, along the way we kind of found out that we share a lot of interest with gaming and so that's how our interview came out to be so we discussed our top three games james i and kurt so i think it's something that everyone can pretty much enjoy how about yourself you have any thoughts james
0: yeah pretty much the same i mean there was a nice mix of uh, obviously blake's pretty old school i fall somewhere in the middle and kurt is very much a modern day gamer but he's uh, been in it since Didn't he say he had a Magnavox Odyssey or something like that? Uh,
1: In television.
0: In television, that was it. So he's been gaming for quite a while. Yeah, Um, quite the history. But yeah, as Blake said, even though it's like a Christian type thing, there were sort of low overtones or pressure to do anything. He's a really cool guy. And uh, yeah, he's got a really awesome podcast. And you can check him out at the Cultured Christian Podcast We'll uh, drop some links in the description as well, separate. He's on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Those are the two biggest ones. Uh, I found him on a few other smaller ones, but I think those are the biggest platforms that he is on. Yeah. So I don't think there's too much more to say. So we'll take a break here. We'll lead into the interview, and I hope everyone enjoys it. So we'll see you on the other side. Yep. See ya. All right, we are here live with my friends and
2: today is going to be a fun episode. Thanks for tuning in. We have such a unique opportunity here because it is the first podcast interview that is literally across the globe. We are connecting with two guys in the nation of Japan on the other side of the planet. It's morning where they are and it's evening where I am and we're having this discussion. They are Hosts of the podcast called Summertime Bit Boys, which is a gamer podcast. And gaming is definitely one of our subjects, our themes here. And so I thought it'd be great to have these guys on. And so let's get to know these guys a little bit and kind of learn from them. We have Blake and James. How are you guys doing tonight or this morning? Pretty good. You? Pretty good. Thank you very much for having us on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's going to be annoying the whole evening versus morning thing, but we'll get over that. Um, So yeah, so I I have to say I've become fast friends with these guys. We met through a Reddit conversation on podcasting, and I love these guys already for two reasons. Number one, they're co-hosts, so I'm already super jelly because I want a co-host. You guys know what am I, 14, 15 episodes in, and I'm still doing this monologue, only me, and so I'm super jealous of having a co-host. So these guys are two guys doing their podcast, And then secondly, they live in Tokyo, Japan. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I have this dream of visiting Japan. It's like this thing that I'm totally locked into. So I think it's super awesome to have these guys on. So Blake and James, why don't you just kind of share a little bit about yourselves, kind of what you want the audience to know. And yeah, so take it wherever you want to go.
1: Uh yeah sure so yeah my name's Blake um originally from uh, Los Angeles California been here in To been here in Japan really for like seven years or so about mm-hmm. six in Tokyo uh just living the dream you know long walks on the beach <laughs> praying at the shrines looking nice. up to uh all the wonderful gods of Japan and uh, you know enjoying some good food and obviously gaming this is like one of the old school gaming meccas of the world so you know hitting arcades playing those old school 80s and 90s games and hang out my friend james sorry go on then
2: no i was just gonna say you nailed it like japan is home to sony it's home to super nintendo nintendo like probably other like there's a lot of games and game consoles and stuff that came out of japan so yeah
1: yeah, you know, Japan definitely helped out America back when, you know, we had the giant like video game crash in the 80s. If it wasn't for Nintendo and Sega, I don't think we have much of a gaming market. So there's a lot to say thank you to, to Japan for. But, right. you know, so yeah, it's pretty much me, I'd say. But uh, yeah, I'll hand it off to uh, James.
0: Yep, so uh, I'm James, obviously, as I just said. I'm originally from uh, the East Midlands in England. Uh, I moved to Japan around about five years ago, probably coming up on six now. Uh, Pretty much wanted to come over here to kind of work for a little bit, get some experience before I kind of locked down a job back home and just ended up staying here. Um, Interestingly, I originally planned to go to Korea, but I couldn't make that happen. And I finally decided, okay, well, I might as well try for Japan. And then when I got here, obviously same reasons as uh blake i started having all the things that i didn't really have in england because we didn't have much of an arcade scene outside of places like london or manchester or birmingham like the biggest cities so it was like a little bit of a dream come true to be able to just walk down the street and find like a small little corner arcade with some hooked up fighting games and things like that or go down to akihabara which is probably arguably like the uh the Mecca Electric, of...
2: The Electric City, I heard, right? Isn't that, that is what the that one. means? Or, yeah.
0: Yep. It's plastered all over the signs in English as well. So Electric City this way. Nice. So um, yeah, it's great. Sweet. And uh hopefully when the quarantine becomes a little less restrictive, I can go back there again because it's been a while. For sure. And so you guys met how many years ago
2: through your job, right? That's how you guys know each other?
1: Yeah. It was about yeah four years ago maybe okay yeah maybe time flies you know hard to remember yeah definitely gosh
2: yeah and what's fun about these guys is just like uh our podcast they started uh in 2020 so you guys are podcast noobs we're we're both starting this year off uh which is crazy right i don't know if you guys started in the midst of the quarantine but like what a year to start a podcast, right? Like I started a month before this COVID thing hit, the pandemic hit. And it's like, in some ways I kind of feel like it's good for podcasting. I've been able to get a lot more content out working from home and just my schedule and stuff. But I don't know as there's as many listeners because a lot of my listeners say they listen when they're in the car. So if they're mm-hmm. not commuting to and from work, Um, I don't know if they're listening as much. You guys don't have the car thing in Japan, but you definitely have, you know, mass transit. You're probably listening to things as you're on the trains and such, right?
0: For sure. Definitely. uh, Yeah. The, uh, podcast for us was kind of a, a bit of a knee jerk reaction to having to work from home and wanting to do something creative. And it just continued after we went back to work as well. So yeah, pretty new to it. Just babes in the woods. Cheeks, cheeks flapping in the wind. We're all new to this. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's a that's a unique one.
2: That's a nice image there. Thank you, James. <laughs> You're um, welcome. But yeah, and it's definitely fun because of that kind of kindred spirit we're both starting off this year. And also, I love your name, Summertime Bit Boys. Uh, tomorrow here in the states is the beginning of summer, so I don't know if. Is that calendar the same as summer start worldwide or, you know, summer starting here tomorrow, is that starting in Japan? When does summer start in Japan?
1: It's based off this, what is it like the, I don't know what it's called, like what the equinox or whenever the season yeah. shifts, probably the same right now we're in the midst of the rainy season, but you know, it's incredibly humid, like 95 to like hundred mm-hmm. percent humidity. And it'll be roughly like 93 to 95 Fahrenheit daily. so Uh, i would say we're definitely in the mist, like the mid of it
0: yeah i mean in my opinion japan only has two seasons it's either really hot or cold nice they just go from summer to
1: winter hey they got beautiful autumn though autumn's really nice
0: yeah further three weeks it happens yeah i know but it's pretty (laughs) simple it is
2: Well, this podcast, as we are not ashamed, this podcast is definitely going to be more slanted, devoted to those of you who are gamers. So no apologies there. A lot of you are into video games. I've literally played video games since I was five or six years old. And so that's where we're diving in today. And so we bounced a couple of topic ideas for this podcast. And we decided to go with our top three games of all time, which is a pretty challenging thing. If you're a gamer, again, if you game for a long period of time, to really kind of sum it up to three games, I found pretty challenging. And so you'll see that in my list, how that plays out. But um, yeah, so we're going to share today in this podcast our top three games. And I think I'm going to pass it off to these guys to start. We're going to share our third. Each of us will share our third and then our second and then our top favorite of all time. And so who wants to start us out? Uh, I'll go first.
0: Cool. All
1: right. So when I was thinking about everything about what are my top games in general, to make it a bit easier for myself, I kind of stuck to one set idea, which is what are the games that I consistently go back to throughout you know, many years or throughout my mm-hmm. entire life? You know, obviously there's many games I think that kind of impact us, you know, either emotionally or even say physically, if you're playing like a VR game. Anyways, uh, I kind of use that as my main drive or focus. So for number three, I chose a game that's on PlayStation 2 called Katamari Damashi. It's originally a Japanese game. You can probably tell by the title and uh the box art of it was like really unique and the idea of it when i first heard it it didn't really sound that interesting but the box art was like this little alien dude who's like looking up at the city and there's like a giant ball and it's pretty much like grabbing the city kind of like if you imagine like a giant sticky ball just picking up stuff and it's all pastel colored i think there's like a rainbow so when i first saw it i was like it's a pretty unique cover doesn't particularly like hit me hard, like, ooh, this is what I want to play. And also the game used only the analog sticks to play. So basically you move by pushing the left and right analog stick together forward. If you want to turn, for example, one stick goes up, one stick goes down. So in a sense, kind of like using flight controls, but you're using the joysticks. So when I first heard about it, I was like, it doesn't really sound that interesting. You just kind of get a ball and you roll stuff up. But then my friend lent it to me. And I was pretty much blown away by the game. One, it was really simple in terms of what you do. Just literally roll stuff up, had amazing music. All the music was made by a bunch of famous Japanese singers or bands. Everything kind of had a unique sound to it. They covered things from like pop to bossa nova to jazz. I just loved the music. It hit me hard. It was one of the first game soundtracks where I I bought it from the store. I just fell in love with it. And then the game itself, as I was playing it, as I was kind of rolling stuff up, sounds kind of stupid, but it was kind of like rolling up all my problems. So whenever I felt kind of like annoyed or upset with anything going on in the day, I'd play that game and I'd immediately calm down. Just kind of rolling up everything and seeing the reaction of things it was just hilarious. Like um, later in the game, you can start to roll up cities. And as you roll up people or animals, like and their arms are shaking and kicking. <laughs> there's no death in the game at all. You just roll things up, but as it gets bigger, you're able to like roll up skyscrapers and whales. It's just a ridiculous idea that you're just rolling up the whole entire world. And the visuals are nuts. Um, basically you're doing this to impress your father who's like a giant alien himself. If you can imagine Galactus from the Marvel comics, he's just a huge being. And when he warped into the next world, his mouth opens and he vomits a rainbow. <laughs> it's, okay. it's a completely ridiculous game. But it does have a huge following. I mean, it's been placed on tons and tons of systems like PlayStation two, I think PS three, PS four, PC, PSP, the DS. I mean, it's been on tons of systems. So obviously there's a lot of love for the game, but yeah, it's a game that I've always gone back to even, you know, years later, I'll still play it a few times every year just to get kind of that nice nostalgic feel. Or if I just really want to have a really chilled out moment in my life and kind of enjoy good music and just feel good about everything just overall one of the best games i played nice that's fun i mean i've never
0: personally played that one but i will admit that the soundtrack has snuck its way onto my spotify playlist occasionally because it's just it's just feel good music if you're having a terrible day just pop that thing on and uh immediate good vibes and uh I guess the only other comment I have to make about that game is uh, the King of the Cosmos, his father, that cod piece. Mm-mm-mm. That is that <laughs> no, is a yeah. real that is a real man right there. Yeah, I mean, he he is quite he's quite a man. He's very open with who he is. It's like uh, have you ever seen Dragon Ball Cut?
2: Uh-uh. Dragon oh, Ball Z. Man.
0: Yeah, Dragon, yeah, Ball, Dragon Z. Ball Z.
2: I've heard of it. I don't think I've seen it.
0: So do you know who the Ginyu Force are?
2: Mm-mm. That's, uh, that's like uh, challenging.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you've seen Power Rangers, obviously. Right. Yep. Yeah. Take that like action, but add a little bit of camp and flamboyancy into it and then roll all that into one. And that is basically the visual design of that game, I feel. Okay. It is pretty nuts. It is very Japanese. And it's yes, very Japanese in its presentation. Sweet but, you James. know,
1: graphics are ridiculously simple yeah yeah
2: i think i've watched somebody play that i i didn't know the name of it but i think i have seen somebody uh playing that so i'll definitely check it out
0: it is definitely worth a look it's uh i i personally haven't played it myself either but it is kind of like on the back catalog of things that i keep meaning to play through at some point
2: Sweet, i own
0: the whole
1: collection i think actually sorry go on though <laughs>
2: No, Jay, I was just going to segue into James.
0: Uh, what games have you played? What, what is your third favorite game? So kind of similar to Blake, I went in with the idea of uh, these games should be games that obviously they mean a fair bit to me so that I want to go back and play them a lot. Uh, for me, when I was younger, I kind of was really into RPGs, fighting games, and then kind of just things that looked different. So for my third place game, obviously around the time of the PS1, Final Fantasy VII was a huge deal and everyone was playing it and everyone was talking about it. However, when I first got my PS1, I got a copy of a game called Breath of Fire 3. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of that, but surely you've heard of Capcom. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were obviously huge back in the day for fighting games or arcade games. And they'd done a few RPGs, but... Not too much. Breath of Fire 3, to me, was... It was all hand-drawn. The music was like classic Capcom jazz era, so all the music was really catchy, really bouncy. And uh, the main drawer of that game is the main character's name is Ryu. And he is the last existing member of his clan, which is called the Brood, who can transform into dragons. So... Instead of like a limit break or something, throughout the game you'd find genes like a heavy gene, or a strong gene, or a fire gene. And he had the ability to mix and match those to turn into unique dragons with different abilities. So it was really cool to see that you could basically, one character could transform into like 10, 15 different forms. And one of them even had something that took into account which party members you had and changed the look of the dragon based on who you had standing next to you when you transformed. And uh, just the music, the artwork uh, is one of... I know Blake likes this game as well. I talked to him about it a lot, one of my friends back in England. Uh, we have bought this game on every single system it came out on. So PS1, PSP pc uh, we've emulated it i have played this game so many times with so many of my friends that it just has so many good memories attached to it mm. and it just reminds me of getting my ps1 and i will usually play through it at least once every year or so and i am never disappointed with it even though it has random encounters which are one of my most hated things of a jrpg i just can't stay mad at that game with its soundtrack and its characters and i mean even like nowadays you don't get game manuals with games anymore right even reading the game manual i have fond memories of just flipping through and reading the bios of the different characters because i mean i think thinking back to the actual characters you control only two of them are humanoid in nature the rest of them are all like werewolves, uh, a plant, a huge dragon man, some kind of dog woman, uh, an angel girl, so it's a really interesting mix of characters, and they continued that theme into Breath of Fire 5 as well, uh, 4, sorry, not 5, and uh, it's just, like I said, the game is just a treat to play, and it is not that difficult for a JRPG, so it is a nice entry point to anyone who kind of wants to explore that genre and might be put off with all the systems and mechanics that they have nowadays sweet
2: awesome well uh number three for me is a series so you guys can call me a cheater if i'm picking a series not a particular game but this goes back to what i was saying at the intro that it's hard to pick uh three games and so my number three slot is a series of games that literally has spawned uh, decades of my life. And so uh, for me, number three slot is the Sim City series. So I started with 1989 when I was just a wee little boy of nine years old playing on my Super Nintendo. Which as far as my teen years, that game system by far got the most use was the Super Nintendo. I had Nintendo before it. I had, uh previous to that, I had an Intellivision. I don't know if you in the audience have heard of that, but that's like uh, competition to Atari. Um, I don't know why we went with that, but we did. And so from there, it went to Nintendo. And then in my teen years, they came out with Super Nintendo. So of course, I'm going to go Super, right? Um, And so I got into SimCity and fell in love with it. And then throughout the course of, gosh, the last 30 years, they've had so many different versions of SimCity. And so now it's kind of fun because I have a Retron, R-E-T-R-O-N. If you guys aren't familiar with that, listening to the podcast, it is a retro video game that base game system console that you can put in super nintendo nintendo and sega is mine i think they have different versions now but mine is number three so there's three versions and so i actually bought sim city for super nintendo and you talk about bringing back childhood memories plugging that thing in i mean i I can easily get to 100,000 people now in like five minutes. It's so easy to build because I just know how to do it. And and back then it was relatively easy. Now the SimCity games, the simulators, you know, are really involved. You have to think through the power, the water, the trash collection, like every level of managing a city is super complex in these games. And I enjoy that to some degree, but there's a complexity that's, A little bit too stressful Um, and kind of as we're going through here the you know Blake and James have explained why they go to these games you know it's like an escape or it's because of the community the memories that are made and I feel like I don't like getting into a game if it stresses me out and I feel like for me video gaming is at the end of the day I want to have some fun blow off some steam relax a little bit so if I start getting into a game that's a little too complex or a little too stressful I'm, I'm not going to play that very long because to me, life is stressful. Life has complex things. Life has all these challenges. So for me, when I come to video games, there's a certain level of like, I play for fun. Like I'm not playing for trophies or like scoring huge and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of my philosophy. And that definitely connects with the SimCity series because it's all about building a city, getting more population, um, So yeah, so I played with a bunch of, there's tons of variations. Some of them are just crazy stupid, like Sim Farm or Sim Ant. I mean, they got into Sim Copter, like a helicopter. There's so many variations of the game that were pretty stupid and didn't really last long. I think the only one that was kind of an offshoot that I did like was called Sim Tower. Have you guys heard of that game where you basically create a skyscraper and you're building out the floors Um, that was a pc game so i literally to this day i'm a console gamer but when it comes to the city builder games that's still i use my mac and in the past i've used pcs so that's really the only thing i'm still playing on a pc or my mac is these city builder games so have you guys ever got into sim city or kind of the sim series games
1: yeah, oh, I used yeah. to play Sim Ant, Sim Tower, Sim Copter quite a bit. I love Sim Ant. I love Sim Copter. Interesting. Uh, I played all the Sim Cities. Sim Copter was just funny because you know, uh, there's buildings on fire. You could uh, take it out using the water cannon, or you could just like fly around. You could just shoot cars or people with the water cannon. <laughs> and then they got in trouble with Sim Copter because you put in this special code, it turned all the people you rescued into buff men wearing speedos <laughs> yeah, so i remember that but sim ant i loved i love that you start off as this like small little ant in the backyard and the whole point was to invade the house and get the owner to leave so i really liked sim ant quite a bit okay
0: um i didn't really i mean i i messed around with sim city on the super nintendo because i know they replaced like the invading monster with like king cooper or bowser whatever mm-hmm. you want to call yeah. him so that was fun But that never really, it never really connected with me. The one I wasted the most time with was theme hospital on the PC. Okay. So that was by bullfrog. So that's like a British company, Peter Monaloo, before you told a lie every other sentence, but (laughs) I really enjoyed theme hospital. I felt it was more digestible and as you said, like less stressful because I was just managing a building rather than a city and, uh, they had like made up diseases like uh, inflated ego, where the person's head ballooned and the cure was to pop their head and inflate it to the normal level. <laughs> or they were stricken with uh, impersonationitis or something where they would dress up like Elvis Presley and the cure was to show them a mirror to show them how ridiculous they looked so they would dress normally again. Ah, uh, okay. So Not bad. That was quite fun for me. Sweet.
2: Little little walk down memory lane for us tonight. And probably for those uh listening, let's for the sake of time, let's jump to our second pick. What is our who wants to go first on the second pick of
1: all-time favorite games? I'll go again. Uh I'm also gonna do a series. Um I'm gonna be doing a fighting game series called Guilty Gear. Um now I don't know if everyone knows Guilty Gear. It's been around for quite mm-hmm. a while now. Uh, the new one's being released soon, but uh, the first time I played Guilty Gear was Guilty Gear X, so that being number two. I played it on Dreamcast. And uh, for me, I guess the, the biggest moment for me, for why I chose it, was it was the first time in a fighting game where every single character, looked at, they were hand-drawn and like an anime or Japanese cartoon style. Whereas if you think of something such as like Street Fighter, or say King of the Fighters or Tekken. Each one has their own style. Tekken's a kind of like a 3D look to it. Uh, Street Fighter always had their own style, but obviously very Japanese inspired. For people playing play King of Fighters, obviously very Japanese inspired. But Guilty Gear took the idea of like, let's make something that looks way more like anime and let's make it feel like you're actually playing as say like a real anime or like a cartoon. So each character, each background is all hand-drawn, so you feel like you're actually, say, in, like, say, a movie or a TV show. So that stood out to me. The music was all done doing, like, hard rock and, like, metal. It was all done with real instruments. Um, But the big thing about it, the reason why I just loved it so much is each character is, like, really well-designed, sometimes a bit overly designed, going for either, like, a rock aesthetic or an old-school Japanese look. But everything in general has its own look and feel. But kind of the big point to me about this whole game was that when it went to Guilty Gear X2, which would be the third one, they gave you every single possible thing or tool to get you out of any situation. So if you're ever familiar with fighting games, you can get trapped in a corner. Well, they give you different moves to get out of a corner. Now, you might not be able to use those moves at a time or at that time, But the point is you have the tools, they give you everything possible so you can succeed or be better at the game. And if you're not using those tools correctly, or, you know, you just don't know how to play the game, then yeah, you're not going to do well, but it was really well thought out. The animations were just so smooth. Like I just loved the game so much. The first time I played it, I remember I was at my friend's house and we played it for like 20 hours straight nonstop to the point where like our hands were hurting. And it was just a constant thing. It was the first fighting game where I was like, I need to understand, you know, as many characters as possible, master the system. And I did it for years. I got to a point where I was actually competitive at it, where I would go to local tournaments and I would win a few. Uh, Probably one of the greatest memories I have of the game is I went to a local tournament and I was incredibly drunk. I mean, I drank about a whole bottle of Malibu rum, which is not good, obviously. I was about 19 and stupid. And, you know, coconut rum is not good. It's, it's terrible. So obviously, I, I was really hating on myself. I drank this whole thing of rum on an empty stomach, and I was meticulously drunk, and I we went to this tournament, and I won. I got first place completely wow. super drunk. I won, and then I puked in a trash can right after I won. <laughs> but I remember it so well. I know, right? But it was one of those things where it's like the muscle memory was just so ingrained in who, it, who I was that it didn't matter whether I was drunk or not. My body was just an autopilot. I remember, like, some guy yelled at me for being like drunk because I beat him. <laughs> I just like ignored him and smiled. <laughs> so yeah, it's just that game that I've always gone back to. Every iteration of that game, every single DLC that comes out, I'm buying it. And the new one's coming out, and even if it costs say like eighty dollars, and yeah, eighty bucks is a lot of money. But here in Japan, a lot of new release games cost the equivalent of eighty bucks. Like I will buy it for eighty dollars no questions asked that game is that good in my opinion and i will always challenge anyone at the game i mean obviously i have lost but in general i would say i've defeated almost all my friends the game pretty easily not to be too arrogant but as i said i put in hours and hours into that game in every iteration of it i just love it that much and you know seeing it coming back oh i'm beyond elated like it's just one of the best feelings ever into that game is still around people still love it and they're still putting in the time and effort to make it even better. So it's something that I suggest anyone should play if you like fighting games. I think it's kind of intimidating though because I mean there's a lot of stuff going on and because they give you all these tools it can become a bit more in depth of a fighter compared to say Street Fighter. Now mind you more recent Street Fighter I think takes a little bit more skill than say street fighter 2. street fighter 2 is real easy to get into but you know it's one of those things just because easy to get into doesn't mean you're going to be good at it it takes a long long time to be truly good at a fighting game it's like chess you know anyone yeah. can pick up chess but it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it you can learn how the system, you can learn the game the rules what to do but it doesn't mean you're going to be good and that's what i love about fighting games it doesn't matter how much you know about it you just need to actually practice those fundamentals and challenge those who are better than you to become better. So, yeah, Sweet. it's one of those games I just truly love.
2: Awesome. Blake, tell us your number two, man. Yeah,
0: James. James. No. <laughs> uh, okay. yeah. So Sorry. same as Blake, like, uh, my number two, uh, and same as you as well, is like a franchise as well, but, uh, it is a fighting game as well. And, uh, like Blake, I'm very much excited for Guilty Gear, and I'll probably sink a lot of hours into it with him. But my number two pick is the PS1 fighting game, Bloody Roar. Now, Bloody Roar came out sort of on the PS1, and this was like in the golden era, or going into the golden era of like experimental games, where companies would just throw stuff at the wall, and hope it sticks, and that they had another bestseller on their hands. Uh, Obviously, games were a bit cheaper to make. You needed less people to do it. So people were more likely to take risks. They wanted to see if there was a niche in the market and if they could fill it. And Bloody Roar's gimmick was that every single character in the game could transform into a beast version of themselves. So you would have the human fighter who would have his set or her set of punches, kicks, grabs, special moves. And then you would have a button on the controller that made them transform into something like a wolf, or a tiger, or a lion. Or uh, later in the series, they got really weird, like they would transform into uh, chameleons, or half-beasts, or imperfect forms. Uh, Things that looked like something straight out of like a Japanese sentai anime, like... um, superhero type things so they got real over the top with it but there was just so much fun that you could be had with it and it wasn't super competitive so it was relatively easy to get into and the combos were easy to string and the thing I like the most about it is that every sort of combo could lead into a transformation and then you could continue the combo or you could combo out of your beast form back into a human form and there were just so many possibilities it just got so flashy and over the top. My favorite one is probably the one on the GameCube, Primal Fury. And uh, that game, I just sunk hours and hours into with my friends. Even friends who do not like fighting games would tell me how fun it was just to pick a character, get a kind of feel for what they're supposed to do with it, and then just run with it. Uh, Especially my brother. He is not the biggest fan of fighting games, but he will always make time to sit down and play a few hours of Bloody Roar with me. Uh, Same with a few of my friends back in England. They are not fighting game enthusiasts, but they will join in for a good few hours of that game just because of how accessible and fun it is. Uh, The soundtrack is pretty decent. Uh, Unfortunately, the game no longer exists because the fourth entry was very subpar, It kind of went off the deep end a lot got away from what made the game good and unfortunately now it kind of exists in that space of everyone is kind of like uh wishing and praying in their deepest of hearts that (laughs) because of capcom bringing back all their old franchises and making serious bank off like resident evil monster hunter um, all this stuff there remaking like Devil May Cry, like Capcom's been hitting it out of the park hard recently. that whoever retained the license rights to Bloody Raw, and especially with what Blake said with like fighting games making a big comeback, Street Fighter 5, Tekken 7, Mortal Kombat, uh, Guilty Gear, they're coming back in a big way. People are like hands clasped, like wishing and praying to whoever's gonna listen that somebody is going to pick bloody roar up and bring it back along with like other guy games, like rival schools that have kind of fell to the wayside. So I'm really hoping that it's going to come back. And I encourage people that like, uh, if you don't have a PS one, like emulation is pretty easy these days. If you're curious about it, I highly recommend people go play that game because it's so accessible and just stupid good fun to have a couple of beers with your friends and just, uh, Yeah, just go back to like the golden era of when nobody really cared what they were doing. They were like, this seems like a good concept. We got it down on paper. It seems pretty solid. This is stupid good fun. Let's go with it. So yeah, uh, Bloody Raw is one of my all-time favorite fighting games just because of the memories it shares and how accessible it is.
2: Yeah, we're going to take a break in a second, but I just have to confess here that I am not much of a fighting game guy. I am, I have been called the button smasher. So (laughs) I'm, I'm that guy who doesn't know all the moves. I have a good buddy who's into the Mortal Kombat series and he knows every freaking move. And I'm just the guy like, boom, 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 just punching everything on my, you know, controller to try to stop him. And, you know, about you know 20 30 percent of the time i hit something that works but yeah so i'm definitely that guy i just have to confess none of my games obviously are the fighting game but um i'm happy that there are people who are into those i mean i know a ton of them so
0: it's definitely a a a thing so yeah man i mean that they are very intimidating they're not for everyone but i think uh especially games like smash brothers now obviously there's a debate as to whether or not that is a fighting game or a party game as a party game yeah yeah well yeah regardless of what people say it's like you cannot deny that that game is stupid good fun yeah and it's pretty i definitely
2: I definitely see the fun in it. I just, I never got into it. And frankly, it's one of those things I was never good at it. So it's like when you're younger and you not, you're not good at something instead of improving, I just went to SimCity cause I was good at that, you know? So I feel like that's kind of a thing too, is when you're a teenager, you tend to magnet you know like a magnet you go towards the things you're good at and you repel against the things you find you know and and sadly you often answer that question too quickly i probably could have got good at those games but i decided i wasn't so even at you know near 40 years old here i'm still not very good at uh, fighting games so i don't need that in my life i don't need to be feeling bad when i play games
1: it's just pick up street fighter 2 for super nintendo man practice those fundamentals you'll get there right
0: yeah it still happens today like there's a new shooter out called valorant i tried for the past four weeks to get good at that game i can't it was making me angry it was making me sad so i uninstalled it yeah because like you said got enough aggravation in life my video games exactly. don't need to be part of that
2: all right well we're gonna take our break here we do need to take a break for our sponsor and then we'll be back i'll share my f- second favorite game, and then we'll get to our top all-time games. So stay tuned for some more of today's podcast. All right, guys, we are back, and I'm going to share number three for me, or sorry, number two. I'm getting dyslexic here. I can't keep track of numbers. This is really tough. Uh, so, yeah, number two for me. Uh, again is a series, but it's also tied. And so this is again, I promise number one is going to be a single game. Uh, But number two for me is a tie between Assassin's Creed series and the Horizon Zero Dawn. So I felt like those two games are similar. So there's kind of you'll see a connection here. But as far as, for me, I haven't shared kind of my philosophy. You guys both shared your philosophy. When I created this list, the criteria that I kind of put these games in is definitely like you guys, you know, I played it the most. Like these games I played more than any other. Uh, Second to that would be it moved me. Like I had an emotional like thing, a connection to it in some way, shape or form. Or finally, I played the most in the series. So like with SimCity, I played all the games, like all the official games I've pretty much played. And so Assassin's Creed definitely checks that box. I played a ton of them and they kind of lost their way, I would say, about halfway through the series. And basically they, they were doing this stupid crap where there would be like a downloadable... Uh, what do you call those things where it's like an extended part of the game? I'm forgetting the term. DLC. DLC, exactly. Like they would release a DLC and it's like for 20 more dollars, a new part of the city opens up and you get more missions. I'm like, to me, that's fair. But what they started doing was... A, an entire game that felt like a DLC, you know, you pay 60 bucks and it's like, Oh my gosh, you just open a new part of Rome. Like, why am I paying $60 for this? So there was a few times where they kind of missed their mark there. I also really, really did not like the pirate one. And I think a lot of people, uh, Agreed with me there that it was so out of character for the series when you started driving pirate ships and shooting cannons at other pirate ships. Like, I mean, again, no shame to anybody who's into like pirates of the Caribbean. That's fine, but it wasn't Assassin's Creed. And so for me, that kind of was an outlier. But setting those gripes aside, I really enjoy the Assassin's Creed series, and I enjoy Horizon Zero Dawn, and here's why. Because my favorite type of game, and definitely my number one fits into this as well, is I love... The open world concept, a huge world with a lot of graphics and a lot of things to explore. And there's kind of a combination of a storyline, but there's also a free form like, oh, you want to go explore this? You want to go collect things? You want to learn about the culture? You can do that. Like you have a massive open world and you can sync you know hundreds of hours into this game if you really want to find like assassin's creed it was always like feathers or like musical notes like you found number one of 200 of this and i never found i always started off with like this dream of i'm gonna get a platinum i'm gonna get everything and then once i finished the story i was like yeah i'm not gonna go for those other 75 feathers who needs more feathers you know um so yeah, so for me, I love both of those games. Horizon Zero Dawn is definitely a newer game uh on the PS4, but it was the first game that I played and it's a female lead. So you play as Alloy, the girl in the story, and it was literally like three hours into the game where I slowed down and I was like, huh, I'm playing as a female. Like, and as a guy, I'm not, you know, I'm not into the um, gender shaming or we're not going to get into that conversation, but I just found it interesting that as a gamer, when you select a guy and a girl, like they usually have you choose in a lot of games, what gender you want to play. This was the first game as a guy that I played as a girl and I was fine with it. Like I didn't even notice it. Like it's just that well written that you're just kind of like, well, yeah, I'm playing as a girl. Like this is the story. And, um, yeah. So I don't know if you guys have played either of those, Uh, but I highly recommend both of them, and I feel like Horizon Zero Dawn just has, again, a really good storyline. The graphics are incredible, and it's set in a post-apocalyptic world. That's kind of a thing for me as well, where these robots are roaming around, and it's just extremely satisfying when you come up on these robots for the first time and see what they look like and try to take them down. So, So yeah, that's kind of my number two pick. I apologize that I'm struggling to pick a single game but i promise you for number one i've selected one game no series no ties but that's number two for me what about you guys
1: um i used to play assassin's creed actually i played Uh up until uh what was it the third one where you're the native you were half native american i believe okay um so i played yeah like one the whole entire Ezio arc and then whenever they went to you know you being a native american like during was it the time of the Revolutionary War, was it, or Civil War? I forget. No, whatever. Anyway, I love the Ezio one where it took place in Italy. I thought yes. that was Italy. the the peak of Assassin's Creed. Afterwards, mm-hmm. I thought it was all kind of downhill. I was kind of interested, but all the reviews just kind of just all went down. It didn't really sound interesting. But yeah, the Italian one, I loved it. With I yeah. really liked Ezio's arc. You saw him from beginning to end of a character. Uh, I just loved you know, all the characters you would meet. And then just the design of Italy is yep. just, it was great. It was really, really nice. It's historically, the first
2: it's historically accurate too, you know, like those buildings and the layout of the city is actually what it was.
1: Yeah. I've been to Italy. So, I mean, I've, I've ventured to a few of those places that you ventured to as Ezio. So it's nice to it nice see in real life and also think about the game, like, Oh wow, it's so detailed. And I got to climb, you know, like the Duomo. mall. In, uh Assassin's Creed, then I got to actually visit the place.
0: Hmm. So, yeah, I, that's cool. I played the the first three because they did uh, Assassin's Creed two, and then
1: was it Brotherhood? Yeah, there was three along Assassin's Creed two. It's like Brotherhood, and then the one where you play the the old version of Ezio, his final yeah. years.
0: So I think I tapped out before that one because I was I enjoyed it, but it was kind of by that point. Is it EA that makes it? Electronic Arts? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Ubisoft. U- Ubisoft yeah. Oh, Ubisoft, sorry. Um, to me, it did a very interesting thing where it almost became like a FIFA or a pro soccer game. They were releasing one every year yeah. Yeah. with very little changes because they wanted yep. to fill out that character's arc. And to right. me, I was like, I don't like those games. I don't subscribe to the thought process of here's another $60 for a couple of new names on the roster and a few bars going up and down. Now, I know they added more content in and people wanted to finish off his story. But for me, that was like, you have got infinite possibilities here of where these assassins can be from, like uh, the memories that you can pull from. I think at that point, I was just kind of like, okay, Italy's nice, but I'm done seeing Italy. Like, what about... Greece or Japan or England. And I know they did get to those eventually, but by that point for me, it had already been like the formula is kind of very laid out now. And yeah, I just, I don't feel like I want to revisit it because I do like sandbox games, yeah. but I feel like there's too much of a good thing as well. For sure.
1: I, yeah, I agree. I was using a game fly at the time. Anyone ever used that where it's like, what $5 a month and you could rent mm-hmm. as many, you can rent like one game and return it like old school netflix so that's how i played all the assassin's creed games and that's why i think i dipped out after the third one because the formula it just kept being copy and pasted that's why i liked that so it was the only one that was really interesting to me then afterwards i was like oh it's just kind of more of the same you guys aren't being that innovative right I and
0: mean, maybe yeah not to detract from your pick or anything like the first yeah. one like i absolutely loved the first one i remember being in college when that trailer dropped and uh, I think they used Lonely Souls by That trailer by was amazing, uncle. man. Felt like the trailer. And I was just like, I don't care if this game is a hot mess. I, I need to play this. The hype train has left the station.
1: <laughs> yeah, because remember, like, you have, like, all those monks walking. And then you see- yeah, yeah, yeah. You become one of them. Then you jump down and you stab the guy with your wrist blade. That was, that was pretty nice. It was pretty cool.
0: So, yeah. Like, originally, I was like, this is the Templar Batman game that I never got.
1: Huh. Mm. Gosh,
2: that's another the. There's that Batman game. Dang, uh, oh, yeah. what is it? Arkham Asylum? Arkham that Asylum, was the Arkham Asylum series
0: by yeah, Rocksteady Games. Forgot about that. Yeah, that was it. Was
1: their their first game franchise, right?
0: Yep, they knocked it out of the park. They came out swinging. Yeah, they were really, really great. It was
1: a fun game.
0: Yeah. I've. All All right. That Speaking like of fun, times. let's
2: get to number one, boys. What is number one all time favorite game for you guys? What, what would you say is top of the list?
1: Okay. So I'll go first. Um, I'll start with a little story first. All right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not sure for James here, but Kurt, maybe you'll be able to relate to this. Do you remember back in the eighties, early nineties, pizza hut used to be an actual restaurant. You could walk in and always have that like pizza hut top to it. That nice red look. You'd order your yes. pizza, we you'd sit down, well. and there's always had like the corner area with the uh, with the arcades. You know, little yep. kids always go there and play, but also teenagers. Yep. So I remember being a little kid going to Pizza Hut with my friends, with my mom, whomever, and we always go to the arcade. Eventually, at some point, ha- go to the arcade, and yeah. there was always the Neo Geo machine. You know, the Neo Geo, the Neo Geo machine mm-hmm. always had that same kind of look with the four colored buttons, that bat top, yeah. and the red to it and there was always Metal Slug, always. And I remember being a little kid, first time I ever played you know, an arcade that I truly remember, something that really hit me hard was Metal Slug. Every time we went to Pizza Hut, it was always Metal Slug. And if it wasn't Pizza Hut, it'd be like Round Table, another pizza chain. If it wasn't Round Table, it'd be Shakey's. Every pizza place had a Metal Slug machine. And I was always that kid who'd have like soda on top of the machine pizza in like one of my hands or hanging off my mouth and I'm playing metal slug like an addict. I can't even like explain the amount of allowance I spent on playing the first metal slug. Every time I make any type of money, we go to one of these pizza places, I would put on metal slug. My whole goal was I had to beat the game. And I did it for years. And when emulation came out, it was the first game I ever emulated. It was the first thing on my head it was like, if I'm ever gonna emulate anything on my PC, it has to be Metal Slug. And I did it. And I played every single Metal Slug religiously from, I don't even know, maybe middle school, even to nowadays. I own Metal Slug on so many different systems. Even though I can play it for free on my PC, I would buy it because I always wanna support the publisher, the makers of the game. So I own it on PlayStation playstation 2 xbox pc and psp i own all these different versions of metal Sword. i adore this game and i have played it religiously over the years like not even as a joke i will pop in that game maybe once a month and i will play it and not just the first one but specifically the third one the third one i think is to me the best in the series but in general, the Metal Slug series is just a wonderful, wonderful franchise. Though I'm not explaining what it is, so let me do that real quick. Yeah. So Metal Slug is a um, 2D side-scroller, and uh, you just play as a military person going against a faux-Nazi army. You can figure their faux-Nazi army based on kind of how they dress, but more so that they have the iconography. So instead of having a swastika, they have a giant axe, and you're fighting in Europe, and you know you're taking them out. So that's pretty much the basis of the game. But then you learn later that there's aliens as well that are working with like these faux Nazis. So you don't take the storyline seriously at all. It's more of just like the adventure, kind of the mayhem that you see and everything is done, you know, in pixel art. And kind of what makes the game so cool is that the backgrounds are moving. There's so much detail going on that, you know, it's just that quintessential, I feel like 90s arcade that every single kid has played at least once. And, you know, even though it might not have any new game coming out for it, they still release it. I mean, on iOS and Android, they have some Metal Slug games on there, but it's not Mm -hmm. like traditional Metal Slug. It's more like one of those kind of tower defense games, I guess they're called. They're like tap games where you buy different things. You tap on the screen or kind of like Clash of Clans, I guess. I'm not explaining Mm -hmm. it very well, but they still make it even for, you know, mobile. So obviously people love that game still. And yeah, I I can't think of any other game that I've played nonstop for so many years of my life. And has always been this, just this thing I always go back to that, you know, no matter what's going on in my life, Metal Slug is always there. And if I see it in an arcade here in Japan, I'll put in money here and there because why not? I, I love the game so much. I always think it's worth the money no matter what.
2: Nice, man. Yeah, definitely I'll have to check it out.
0: Yep. So same for me with just metal slug too. Like every time I see it, I challenge myself, maybe not to the degree Blake has, but I'll pop in a hundred yen and I'll go, okay, let's see how far I can get on one credit. And, uh, one dollar
2: us, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, rough. Yeah. Roughly. I think, um, It's about, uh, if you're interested, about 70p in British money. 70 (laughs) British pennies. Uh, But basically, I will try to get as far as I can off one credit. And so far, I've managed to get about halfway through the game without dying. And then it just goes to pot. And basically, I just need to practice more at home. But my goal is to get through that in one credit. Nice. Whether or not that's possible. It is, but I don't know if I have the time. to do that these days. Which uh, I guess if we're done talking about that, I'll move on to my number one game. Do it. And uh, like Blake, I have a little story that goes along with it uh, because this game is on the little machine that never could, which is the Sega Dreamcast. Mm. Now the Sega Dreamcast, I got to the party late. Uh, I couldn't afford it when it first dropped and I picked it up kind of as it was on its way out because people just wanted to get rid of it. They knew that it was our death's door and they just needed to shift units before it just became redundant. Cause the PS two was coming out. And, uh, I remember picking it up and I remember seeing like, uh, like lots of arcade style games on it, like street fighters, SNK vs. Capcom Marvel. There was tons. It was like a perfect port machine just without the ridiculous price tag of like the Neo Geo machine. But, There was one game that kind of just sat at the back of the store and it had this really sort of weird box that looked like uh, some really elaborate piece of graffiti. And uh, in um, England, it's called Jet Set Radio. And I think in America, it's called Jet Grind Radio. Yeah. Basically, this was one of, I think, one of the first games to use cell shading. I know there were others before it, but it was a good four or five years before it became mainstream. And cell shading for people who don't know is where you use sort of flat colors uh, to texture the model, to color it in, and then use real hard light to add in the details. So shadows are near enough solid blacks, lights are near enough solid whites, and then the colors in between. And it gives this really kind of cartoony, vibrant look that's real commonplace today in uh, especially anime fighting games. Like uh the new drag well, say new, the most recent Dragon Ball Z fighting game, all the old ones used it. And the reason it grabbed my attention is because up until that point I'd seen nothing like this game. And uh when I booted it up, it's basically a game about uh a fictional version of Tokyo called Tokyo To. Uh, which basically there are is very little freedom of expression. So to express themselves, people wear roller skates and they go around Tokyo graffitiing on everything. And then the way you defeat rival gangs is to graffiti over their tags and then to spray your tag on the back of their jackets, which apparently demoralizes them enough for them to go away. But this game was like Tony Hawk's, but without needing all the tricks. And then you could design... You're all in graffiti. You could find tons of graffiti around and copy it. The soundtrack was absolutely amazing. It had tons of Japanese bands in it. It's one of the few soundtracks to this day that I still have on my Spotify playlist, and I play it often, like at least once a month. And it is just stupid good fun. And on the Dreamcast, it had the VMU, which is like the visual memory unit, which is like a little memory card with a face on it. And you could like put your own graffiti on it and things like that to customize it. There were tons of different characters. The story was really weird and outlandish. It was just a real good time where if you wanted to just go through the game and just beat it at your own pace, you could. But there were also tricks you could pull off. Uh, there was a score attack mode. There was an online feature where you could share graffiti with other people because it was. this was like a Dreamcast was pioneering kind of online play as a spotty as it was but it was just really good fun it is available on dreamcast like uh, ps vita pc they ported it a bunch of times if you want to look at sort of creativity at its peak where people were still kind of saying like money's no object we need the next big thing on this new system i highly recommend you go pick up jet set radio and just give it a play it is real good fun The music is ridiculous. The visuals still hold up today because cell shading kind of doesn't age because of the way it was done. And yeah, it's just so many fun memories of playing that game, listening to that soundtrack. And it's kind of like the moment for me where the Dreamcast clicked. And I was like, I love this system. And I had never been a Sega fanboy. But at that point I was like, I need to get near enough every game for the system. And back in England, I do have a Dreamcast with a large collection of the games, like the must have games for the Dreamcast. And every time I go home, I still pop that thing in. I hear that obnoxious beeping sound from the VNU and I can hear the machine breaking a sweat as it fires up. And I keep Mm. thinking, this is the day the disc is going to fire out of the machine and embed itself in my head because Mm. it shouldn't be making that noise.
1: Evil Dead but, uh, style,
0: yeah, basically, and that is just the Dreamcast in a nutshell. Is just it was this, uh, it was a prime example of Sega thinking of the now rather than the future because it was actually designed to beat the PS1 and the N64, not the PS2 and the uh, GameCube. So even though it was really good, it was behind out of the gates with what was coming out. But I really love it. And every time I go home, I will dust that thing off. I'll plug it in, and I'll just have a blast either by myself or with uh, three other friends. Because it was during that era of let's stick four controller ports in the front of the console, (laughs) so it's just real good time.
2: Yeah, I never played uh, Dreamcast, but it's one of those systems that, as far as the retro games go, people talk more about that system than just about any other. Like that is a most loved system i've heard a ton about it
1: it's the hipster's dream machine man if you're like a yeah. gamer hipster like you got that, that's it that's the isn't machine that the,
2: isn't that the one with the massive controller that actually has a game in the controller like some of the there's a display on the controller and some of the game aspect is on the controller is that right
1: like there's a weird. vmu but that's not part of the game it's just memory What's a memory it you might show stuff a so, uh, visual memory unit okay basically uh, james can explain
0: you know how obviously like you don't have it anymore but the ps2 you had a memory card that you shoved in the front of the machine yeah mm-hmm. the dreamcast had a hole in the top of the controller like a little window mm-hmm. and you would plug the memory card into that and through the hole there was a little like uh lc uh, not lcd led screen
2: right no it's yep. lcd and
1: was it lcd yeah, it was. LED wasn't a thing back then. It was, also- oh, okay. yeah, it was
2: like a gray screen with black yeah, text, yeah, yeah. right? That's yeah. The one. yeah.
1: And
0: that would, like depending on the game developer, like for example, Resident Evil, Code Veronica would have the heartbeat and your health condition on the memory card. That's cool. And then other games like Soul Calibur would take it a step further where you could move your favorite character onto it and then have like a mini battle because the top would come off and you could plug two of them together. And I think the most use it got was during Sonic adventure two with the chow garden, which basically turned the VMU into a Tamagotchi. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was like a huge obsession for absolutely ages. And the only problem with it was it used watch batteries, like those kind of big flat round circular ones. Mm -hmm. So they were not cheap and that thing would eat through batteries like crazy.
1: Yeah. It was really innovative though, for the time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. PlayStation tried to make their own, the original PlayStation, my jet, little PS white memory mini thing. Was, I don't know. I know that they used it for final fantasy eight, but it was never released in the States. Yeah. Same I've idea it. had a little screen with like a D pad and like two little buttons. I mean, that's a,
0: a treat for you. Kurt, if you ever do make it over here is that you will see all that obscure stuff that never made it kind of Stateside or to Europe. That yeah. just stayed in Japan.
2: Yeah, like, what's uh, the FamCon or something? Isn't that oh, the
0: Famicon? Yes, that's yeah, that's just yeah, that's NES.
2: just NES. Yeah, there's there's so many things. That's again, I watched a video last night of I've seen a bunch of them Akihabara and how there's all those game systems you can buy there. What is it like? Something potato? There's like a store like Super, Super, potato. Super potato or something. Yeah, yeah the def- arcade. It's, yeah it's on my list it's like if i go there i'm going to that store because there's all sorts of gamer stuff there but yeah it's like you're saying there's stuff there that we can't get in the states i love that
0: yeah like you walk in a super potato and i think it's the third floor they have like a shelf that is bigger than me just stacked with the same console over and over and over Mm -hmm. and you just pick them up and buy them like a grocery item that's cool yeah
2: All right. Number one for me. Um, Again, I'm showing my cards here, guys. I'm not a PC gamer. I'm a console gamer through and through. And so for me, number one, by and far, like I feel like this game jumps ahead of so many games and it is called the last of us. Uh, For Mm. me, I played this game three times. I played it twice on let me get this right. No, I played it once on PlayStation 3. So seven years ago, this around this month, it was released on PlayStation 3. I played it, loved it, incredible. And then it was released again on PlayStation 4. I played it for a second time and then they released it in like 4k with like they upgraded a lot of the graphics and it was half price so I was like shit I'm gonna play it again so I played it three times and it's not a small game like that took a significant amount of time and the other thing that I'll say that's significant about this game for me is it's the only game in my entire life so back to five years old that I have ever cried in like the story in this game is on par with a movie it is so compelling it draws you in and i'll spoil a little bit here but it's the story of a guy an older guy joel and this gal ellie and he's basically they're post-apocalyptic again it's in the future craps hit the fan and he has to get her from point a to point b and so they develop a father and daughter relationship. So that's very much a part of the the story that takes you in emotionally. And it's the music they play, the soundtrack, you guys talking about soundtracks, the, the soundtrack in the game is very guitar heavy. So it's a lot of guitar strumming and just really well done. Um, but the scene that I cried in, it's just this, in the middle of the game, a climactic moment where someone nearly dies. Um, And the other thing that I would say about the game that's so unique compared to other games I've played is it's really the first game that I can remember playing that there's a point at which you're playing the game as Joel and then all of a sudden it switches to a black screen and then it pops, you know, all the colors come back and now you're playing as Ellie. And so you're you're switching characters and suddenly you're in this uh, neighborhood and she's trapped on this side of the neighborhood and he's on the other and you're literally playing to get to each other if that makes sense like his storyline, his game is getting to her. she's trying to get to him and they're on other sides of the neighborhood and so you're playing both characters coming into this climactic moment. And so I just felt like that was such a unique thing. I, I typically games are linear; you go from A to B, you play as this character, and you go on and on and on. But they do a number of those twists and turns that I just found really unique. Obviously, graphically, you know, I have a big screen TV. I'm a 4K, you know, uh, PS4 Pro. So I'm I'm that gamer who gets like super excited just with the graphics. You know, when the sun's coming through the trees and the grass is swaying, like I just love that aspect of gaming, but like a lot of things, it's not one thing. It's when you put all of that stuff together, great writing, you're enjoying the gameplay and it takes you on this journey. It's an open world game, but they also, um Are you guys familiar? Like I use the term on the rails games. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but it's basically like, yeah, it's like in a lot of, I'm trying to think of a bad example, but there were some games I played before where like, if you go in the wrong direction, a big red arrow points you the other way. What's great about The Last of Us is it's very natural. So if you can't figure out where to go, like it notices that you can't figure out which direction, there's another character. Again, it's usually the guy and the gal. And she's like, oh, I think I found a way over here. So it's very natural. It's like she's pulling you to the right direction. And so, again, just really well done um game as far as writing and such and ironically today as we record this friday uh number two part two came out today and so i'm about two hours into i was playing it before we got no spoilers on tonight. please yeah no spoilers i'm just now playing that so it's um it's unique timing but yeah the last of us is definitely they're talking about this shows you how amazing the writing is they've been talking for a number of years of making it into a feature film so usually uh films become games but it's really rare for games to become films so and that to good. me shows you and yeah be good, yeah. Be good. exactly be, so, be good is
0: the outlier <laughs> so that
2: is um yeah that's easily by far and away my number one i love that game i'm enjoying number two and yeah i hope they don't mess it up that's always the tension it's like a great movie when they make a sequel i'm like please don't screw this up i loved number one
0: so i'm uh, i mean just getting into it off the back uh, you are obviously a lot more of a, a stone cold man than i am if you got halfway through the first game without crying, I shed tears within the first 10 minutes of the game, and I think you know which bit I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Where you play as Joel pre-shit-hitting pre fan as yeah. it's starting out. Right. The bit at the end of that mini arc was what got me okay. straight away. We barely, barely introduced the characters, something happens, and already I'm like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> I feel for you yeah uh, i'm not crying you're crying yeah type thing no, and, uh, i
2: can i can already see it without spoiling i can already see some of that stuff setting up in number two and it's just again it's brilliant it's yeah. it's movie level writing it's just they're 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 building that emotional arc in that narrative and you're connecting with the i already even even before anything happened in number two i already have a uh feeling towards ellie she's more the main character in the second game you already feel a way towards her because of playing the first game so they're already they're not starting from zero they're starting from a, a different place emotionally because you're already in with the characters so it'll be interesting to see uh see where they take it so I mean, so um, yeah
0: that's number one prob- probably gonna have to pick up the second one soon because uh yeah like you the first one i played through it like two or three times Mm. there were certain parts in the story that i really got hooked i even like shelled out for the dlc yeah like the first game and uh usually for games like that i'm like uh it's naughty dog and it's going to be good but i feel like the story stands on its own two legs but i wanted to know more yep
2: no the dlc and, uh, the dlc stands it, it's it's worth it it's fun it takes ellie's character in a new direction but it's still very much uh the last of us so i enjoyed
0: that See, i may have to i'm probably gonna have to get it on digital download because uh again i don't know if you know much about japan's kind of gaming laws anything to do with like grievous bodily harm against humanoid enemies like uh dismemberment or decapitation gets Mm. heavily censored here
2: okay yeah it's um, pretty violent
0: resident evil did you play the resident evil 7 no so in resident evil 7 for example there's a scene in the garage where you're running away from the main antagonist and a policeman comes in to try and help you and in the worldwide release his head gets kind of like cut in half with a shovel in the Japanese version it doesn't come off and then later you're supposed to find that head in the fridge you just find a picture of him <laughs> and then the remake of 2 like uh, did you play Resident Evil remake 2 mhm okay so again there's like a scene where <laughs> a cop gets kind of he's trying to crawl under a fire shutter and uh he gets eaten clean in half and like Leon drags him out and you can see all all those wonderful insides like spill along yeah. the floor. The Japanese version, he's just kind of his clothes are a bit torn, and he's been nibbled on. So uh-huh. it gets heavily censored here. And normally, taking out the violence doesn't make a big difference, but I feel that a large portion of Uncharted's impact, uh, not Uncharted, sorry, The Last of Us's impact right. and storytelling comes from that brutal idea of like humanity is not extinct, but it's gone through a traumatic experience and they've all reverted back to their base instinct instincts. Yeah. And that I don't feel that game would be anywhere near as impactful, especially the first one. Again, another scene where Joel is ill and Ellie has to go and care for him. Mm -hmm. The end of that scene where she's kind of trapped in a building, that scene didn't make me cry, but it really unnerved me. because of the context and the impact of the violence and i feel if that had been taken out it would have ruined that scene right so for me i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to get it digitally so it's the uk version so i know that it's not going to have been tampered with nice
2: All right, boys. Well, we are uh, out of time here today, but I definitely appreciate you guys making some time in your Saturday morning routine to be on the podcast today. Why don't you guys give us a little, uh, how do, how do they find your podcast? Where can we find the summertime bit
0: boys? Um, So obviously Kurt will hopefully like give you some links on his end as well, Mm -hmm. but you can find us on, uh, the main ones are Anchor, Spotify, and Apple. If you just search for Summertime Bitboys, you should be able to find us from there. Uh, all the links boys, are available. Boys with oh, an I. B-O-I-S. Yeah, I-S. Yep. Summertime Bitboys, B-O-I-S. All one word for the most part. Sweet. But, uh, you can find us. We'll obviously hopefully link it on Kurt's end as well. But uh, we're available on a few platforms. And I think because of the uniqueness of the name, if you just punch it into Google, something should come up as well. Yeah. Sweet. But uh, yeah, thank you to you as well, Kurt, for taking time out of, I know this is kind of like your prime real estate for enjoying your video games. And it's quite late for you. The only thing,
2: uh, the only thing I'd want to not be playing a video game for is talking about video games. So this has been fun. (laughs) And uh, like I said, you guys have a special place in my heart because you're in Japan and uh, yeah, it's been fun chatting with you guys, texting and just getting to know you a little bit. So I hope this begins, begins a longer term relationship and connection and not just a one and done sort of thing. So thanks again for being on the podcast. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having having us, man. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate
0: it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So thanks for listening to that. It was uh, a little bit longer than the ones that we usually do, but we had a lot of fun making that with Kurt. He's a really cool guy. Uh, He had a lot of uh, interesting views on some games. It was just nice to talk to somebody else for a change instead of me and blake just yammering on as always but i had a lot of fun and uh, i hope you guys enjoyed listening
1: yeah it was great fun i think also should be a little bit different than usual talking about a few modern titles in there instead of always focusing on so much retro so you know i think there's a lot more people can appreciate or like about that getting different views on some of the more modern games
0: mm. and uh next week it'll be a little bit kind of uh, different as well Kurt has agreed to come on our show next weekend, so he'll come over and we'll be kind of hosting our own version of what we talked about technically this week or last week, depending on when you're listening, and we're going to go with what our favorite retro game is, or retro franchise, one modern franchise or game that we've really enjoyed, and something that we are currently playing now, so I'm looking forward to doing that and doing more with Kurt.
1: Yeah, things will be a lot of fun. Hopefully we can continue to collaborate with one another in the future, whether it be on our channel or his channel. So I hope everyone can really enjoy what they're going to hear next week from Kurt.
0: Yep. So having said that, guys, thanks once again for tuning in. It is always appreciated to uh, have you guys here with us. And we're going to try and find some ways in the future for you to interact with us a little bit more because we are curious What you think, what you like, what makes you keep coming back? Why do you enjoy our podcast? So we're curious to know.
1: Yeah, so everyone, just remember this. Um, If you go on to Google or anything like that, you can always find us at st underscore bitboys. Bitboys, obviously, with an I, not a Y. And you can find our Twitter account. We're going to start to become a little bit more active on there. If you ever feel interested in shooting us a question, let us know. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. We also have an email, too, which is Bitboys, just one long one, at gmail.com. Also, feel free, once again, to write us an email there. We'd love to talk to any of you. If you have any types of requests, thoughts, opinions, just let us know.
0: Yep, definitely. Please start getting back to us a little bit more. We've, uh, we've been doing this for a couple of months now, and we'd like to know what you think. And uh, just a quick reminder again. So Kurt was the Christian... The Cultured, sorry, The Cultured Christian Christian Podcast. You can find him at Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It's pretty easy to find, just The Cultured Christian Podcast. You can just search that in, search directly in Spotify. Again, we'll leave some links in the bottom. Uh, We'll try and get a bit more social, maybe start Facebook, things like that. But yeah, as Blake said, make sure to check out the email, check out uh, us on Reddit, Twitter, and uh, let us know what you think. So... Thanks again everyone and we'll see you next week. See you.